Hello and welcome to Posting Up, the Washington Post NBA podcast. I'm your host, Tim Bontemps, national NBA writer for the Washington Post, and I'm thrilled today to be joined by the preeminent basketball reporter in the country, Adrian Wojnarowski from The Vertical, um, who I've been very fortunate to know for, I guess, about 11 years now, which seems crazy. Um, but, uh, but Adrian, how are you? Tim, I'm great. I am uh, thrilled to be here uh, on your podcast, been listening, uh, enjoying them, and glad to be a part of it. Well, thanks, man, and uh, I I owe you a, a lot of things from uh, our the time I've known you since I was a freshman in college at uh, our shared alma mater, St. Bonaventure University. We had a big win last night over St. Joe's, which was great. Huge, huge <laughs> win. But uh, before we get sidetracked on an hour-long Bonaventure conversation, which we could for sure, um, obviously, you know, people know you as, you know, the, the dominant basketball reporter in the country, breaking you know the vast majority of news now but uh, i've you know i've been fortunate to know you for quite a while now and you have a really interesting backstory to how you got to yahoo and how you you got to where you're at which i don't think many people know about so um if if you don't mind I, i'd kind of like to walk through it so if you could could you sure. could you kind of just walk through your you know the the various stages of your career before you you got to yahoo you know the first real and like to me, I don't think I've ever been happier, more excited. I look back on it. I was a I was in high school in Connecticut, and um, my high school Spanish teacher, her husband worked was a was a writer at the Hartford Current, and I lived outside Hartford. I lived in I grew up in Bristol, of all places, right in the shadow of the and, uh, Yep, yep. And so uh, they needed kids to work in the office. You know, she knew I wrote for the high school paper and that I wanted to be a sports writer. She knew that about me. And, and so I got a job working, uh, in the sports department, at the Hartford current, which I think formed my desire to want to do this as much as anything. They had a tremendous staff, you know, a lot of guys who men, women who just were at the very top of the profession, the current covered everything then all the Boston, New York teams and, uh, and so, but I got in there, you know, answering phones, typing in high school, agate, you'd run out, get dinner for guys, you'd go get pictures really before the digital age, you'd go to the file cabinet to get pictures that they needed to, to run in the paper. And, you know, I would sit and, you know, you just answer phones and sports, angry readers, um, <laughs> right. uh, you know, high school coaches, high school coaches calling in their, their, uh, scores and, you know, local colleges and you do the roundups. And then, uh, I would do that several nights a week and weekends and just loved that I was in heaven. It was, it, you know, in my mind, it was all I ever wanted to do. And I, I would stay after my shift and I would read in the, uh, I would stay there <laughs> late and I would read in the, you'd go through the queue where all the stories were and that were going to appear in the paper. And you could see the edits that the, you could see the edits that the copy desk made on different writers work. And it helped me to understand, you could see what was changed, what would have been, what had been written and then what, you know, some edits or subtle changes they made. And that taught me a lot. That was, you know, I learned like you, you, you look at it and you try to understand why something was changed. And now, okay, that, that reads a little clearer. Or, uh, I learned a lot just sitting in there doing that at night, uh, and so all those things, and then eventually they let me go out and start to cover, uh, get some bylines, cover high school games or minor league baseball. Um, you know, just, you know, you could hustle and, and go 
you know, they, they, and so I'd get some bylines. I had, I remember when I sent my application to St. Bonaventure to major in, to, you know, admissions department, I remember I had a couple newspaper clips from the Hartford Current with my byline, which was like, I don't think I was ever more excited to go out and get those newspapers when they came, like, in the box. I probably bought, I probably grabbed 10 of them out of the newspaper box. Well, that's the coolest um, feeling, right? First time you see your name it, in the it paper. Is. It, it was is. the coolest. It, absolutely. And so that's how it started. And then uh, that was a huge, uh, huge impact. The people that I worked around there just were very patient with me. And I learned a lot by just listening. Owen Canfield was their legendary columnist, the current. He would sit in the office and you could just sit and ask him questions and talk about what he did and the craft and, like that was so valuable. And then I got off to college and, you know, felt like I had a few, felt like I had some, uh, uh, you know, a baseline of understanding of how things worked before I even went and took my first journalism class at, at Bonaventure. Yeah. And, and, uh, you, you know, you, you go through your time at Bonaventure, uh, get to know Mike Vaccaro, the, the great columnist at the New York post there. And then, uh, you went, you ended up back in Connecticut afterward um back in back in waterbury covering yukon right waterbury yeah uh you know i at the time you know i wanted to work at the harford current but i also wanted they didn't have any full-time jobs when i graduated and i could have went back in a part-time role but i felt like i was going to get to do more in waterbury and cover some bigger things and so i went to work there and uh worked my way up onto the yukon beat which is kind of the you know, that was the UConn basketball was the beat at the time there, uh, probably still is. And so, uh, but, you know, in addition to UConn, they would let me go to Yankee Stadium or go up to Boston and do a Red Sox or Celtic stuff. Um, the Waterbury was big enough for, at the time, like they, you could go right, you could go do pieces there. And that was great for me, but the UConn was sort of the formative. And I worked with Les, Les Carpenter was, I think he's one of the best sports writers in the country. Fantastic. Les, was the Bridge- Les is so good. Yeah, Les is at the Guardian now uh, out of London. And, you know, he worked at the Bridgeport Post, and I worked in Waterbury, and we were on the Yukon beat. And, like, competing against him, we were about the same age, and we both got on it at the same time. And that was an unbelievable for me, trying to keep up with him. I learned a lot working around him, how he wrote stories, how he interviewed people. I mean, I was competing with him, but I was learning from him every day. He was, you know, he had a huge impact um, at that age. And it's funny, there were times where it was, Les was in Bridgeport. Dan Wetzel was working at Eastern Basketball, Basketball Times Magazine. And Dan, um, they bought Husky Blue and White, which was like the UConn right. fan sheet at the time. And so Dan would come around to stores a lot, uh, Connecticut. So it would be Wetzel and Wetzel and Les and me, we would hang out and um go to the vernon diner after um and it's funny i was driving from boston back to jersey a couple couple months ago i think it was the night i had like the Tony story and i had to pull over off of the high i pulled over and i was just parking a dunkin donuts trying to write that Tony was going to philly story right. and then i was going to send it send it in and i was parked right across from the vernon diner and i it brought me back to being there with those guys however many years ago that was and i think i took a picture and texted um both of them but uh like it's funny the job never changes you just sort of end up in a parking lot somewhere one in the morning you know trying to write a story at least now you can file it off of the you know wireless on your computer but um you know it's funny those things uh come back to you when you're 
you know, when you're you're back in the element there. Yeah, people I don't I don't think people realize how unglamorous our job can be a lot of the time where we're you know, especially you, you're 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 getting stuff all the time, but you 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 often find yourself writing a story, you know, on your phone, either, you know, sitting like you said, at a gas station or at dinner or some random place. Um just trying to, to get it done as quick as you can, um, whatever the circumstances are. It, it, it's so true. Like, especially when you covered like high schools, uh, oh, God. covered Adazio, high schools back Steve, in the day, man, Steve, Steve Adazio, who's the coach at Boston college. Now, when I worked at Waterbury, you know, you would cover UConn basketball, you'd go to practices and games, but on Saturday, everybody had to do a high school story, high school football game in the fall before yeah. like you basketball. Started. And so they would always put me on. I remember I would do a lot of treasure high and Adazio was the coach there then. And, I remember, you know, even some of their night games, I think used to, you know, you're, you're, you're crawling on the floor in the athletic director's office trying to plug in <laughs> to the fax line, right? To yeah. send your story in. God, uh, I don't know how many people you know. listening even know what a fax is anymore. <laughs> but crazy. That, I tell you what, that taught me, you know, covering the hardest thing I've ever had to do. It's still the hardest thing, way harder than anything I would do now. I know what you're going to say. Probably any of us do now is, like to go cover a high school football game, like in the rain, keeping and stats gotta, in a rain, rainy high school football game keep, is the worst. Right, you got to keep stats. Right, you got to keep your stats, which I will awful at. And then you got to the numbers have to add up, and you got to send in a little box score, and you got to write your story, and you got to find somewhere to send it. Like that is that's how you, you learn know, how to do the job. That's how you learn. You got to chase the foot. You got to chase the quarterback. Like you got to pull him away from his girlfriend and right. her parents after to try to talk to him. <laughs> the losing coach is pissed off. He just wants to get on the bus and leave, but you got to get him. Yeah, like you know, like that's where you learn to think on your feet. You learn to interview people. You learn to hey, it's not easy getting stuff out of teenagers at that age. Like you're trying to get them to you know talk, right. and they're not used to it. They haven't been interviewed much, and it it tests all your like those experiences. And I don't know anymore if those experiences are as available to young people as they were with us, like I'm way better for having gone through that and learning how to do that. And because there's fewer newspaper jobs, there's fewer, there's less of everything that um, I don't know if that track is there, but I know the guys like, you know, Mike Vaccaro, who, you know, obviously we're, you're close with too. Mike and I went to Bonaventure together and Mike was the first one, you know, I went to his dorm room and knocked on the door Mike's columns from New York Post, and Mike was the editor of the Bonaventure. And I remember he was in his room with his girlfriend, and I knocked on the door. It was like the first week of school. It was like the first second. I heard the editor of the paper lived on my dorm. And uh, so I went down, of course, knocked on the door to tell him all about myself. And, and I remember, in fact, such a nice guy. He answered the door and stood and talked to me, um, even while his girlfriend was in the room. But, uh, uh, but back, all those guys, like in my generation, came up that way, and and I just think we were all better for it. I wouldn't trade those experiences for anything, and and uh, I didn't get big internships. Like the Hartford Current was great for me, um, and being in that environment. But like in the summers, like you know, I didn't get to go to a big, you know, I, I, Waterbury was a small paper, and then I worked. I went from Waterbury to Fresno, and then Fresno to the record in New Jersey, which is a really good paper and, and acted bigger than it was because of where it was in the market. Like when I was at the record in Jersey, it was like Bob Clappish and TJ Quinn, Ken, Ken Davidoff, uh, Tar Sullivan, who's still there now. Uh, uh, you know, a tremendous group of um, Howard Bryant came through, uh, um, you know, tremendous group 
uh, of people who who wrote and you know wrote on that staff, and that that was a great experience. I learned a lot coming to New York as a young columnist from Fresno, having to go up against Ian O'Connor every day, Harvey Araton. Like you just get your ass kicked. Like you'd come in and try to write a column on the Jets or the Yankees as the lead columnist, and these guys were so much better than you. They knew the market. They knew the people. And I remember days I didn't want to get out of bed. Like early <laughs> on, like I'd read my column and go, oh, my God, I wrote the wrong thing. Like I just wrote the wrong. I don't. I didn't get like you read their columns and you'd go. But either, but it forced you either you were going to build those relationships in the market and learn to, you know, be able to get the Giants coach on the side or the Knicks coach. You know, Jeff Van Gundy was coach of the Knicks. Then I got to, that's where I got to know Jeff or Byron Scott was with the Nets. Cal Perry was actually with the Nets. And then, you know, uh, Don Casey and Byron Scott, but, and then, you know, whoever the star players were, but you had to get to know them. And, uh, um, I, I think that, um, it forced me to, uh, it got you out of your comfort zone because if you weren't coming to the New York market was the best thing. I had another job that I almost took out West and I look back and think of how different my career might've been if I had gone there because the New York market forced me to learn to really compete and, you know, guys like Ian were great to me. Uh, Harvey Ayrton, those guys were great mentors, but they were going to cut you up in the paper. Like they were going to write, they were going to destroy you. And, and so I don't think I ever caught up to them, but maybe I closed the gap a little bit from where it was at the beginning. But, uh, uh, I, I had a lot of great, I was lucky. I got a lot of great breaks and people took time for me. People along the way were really good to me. Uh, and, and helped me learn. And so by the time I got to Yahoo, I had done a lot of different things. And I went to Yahoo to just focus on the NBA and specialize. And, and obviously, I'm glad I did. Dan Wetzel talked me into that. Dan, you know, was at Yahoo Sports. I was really the first guy in the door there. And, and Dan played a big part in, you know, convincing me that just going to cover the NBA might be a good move. And, and it was. It was the one thing I could see at the time, this was um, 2007, 2006. Yeah, I was going to say was, it was 2006. I remember yeah, it very things, clearly. Things were, headed toward, things were headed toward specialization. And that the general columnist might not, in my generation, the general columnist might not have the thunder that he had when I was growing up. That the business was changing and the internet was changing it. And that specializing instead of being a generalist might be an advantage for me. And, and I, I think it turned out to be the case. It definitely has. But I, I want to jump back for one second because you, you, you glossed over Fresno, which I think is maybe the most fascinating period in your career because you went out there to cover uh, Fresno State, and that meant you covered Jerry <laughs> yep. Tarkanian, who you've told, me, you've told me all kinds of stories about covering uh, oh, being out God. there in Fresno. So if you don't mind, I would I would like you to indulge a few minutes of your time with some Tark stories because he sounds well, like the coolest guy to have been. Well, around. it was uh, Andy Katz and I. Andy Katz was working in New Mexico at the Albuquerque Journal, and I was working at Waterbury. And Rick Vasek, who was awesome to me, Rick was the editor in Fresno and you know had a tremendous impact on my career. I learned a lot working for him. And Rick... I had tried to get a job in Santa Rosa. Mike Silver left for Sports Illustrated. And I had interviewed for a job in Santa Rosa, which was really the Santa Rosa Press Democrat, which is a really good 
suburban paper north of obviously the San Francisco. And Silver had sort of made a name for himself there and went to SI. And then I interviewed for the job. I think I finished second or I don't know, maybe I finished eighth. I don't know. But I interviewed and was really upset I didn't get it. Like my wife, my wife and I, we were going to live in San, we were going to get to live in the city. It was going to be awesome. We didn't have kids yet. And, you know, so I didn't get the job. And then Rick Vasek, though, was the editor in Fresno, and he heard about me from the editor up there. And so um, they brought Andy Katz and I in to interview for to cover Tark. Tark was coming in, and they wanted some guys who were pretty, you know, maybe pretty strong in basketball. And so Andy and I both interviewed for the beat job. And, and so we both came in, and they said to me, hey, how would you just like to be the columnist? We're, I think we'll eventually make you the columnist anyway. And I wanted to get on the column track. And so we'll hire Andy as the beat writer, and you come in as a general columnist, along with Bill McEwen, who had been is still a really good columnist there. And so it was great. And so Katz and I came in together, Andy, and uh, we were probably, I don't know, I was 24 maybe? 24 yeah, I was going to say, old, you're 25. in your mid-20s for sure, because I know it was in the yeah, mid-90s. And, and it was crazy. It was crazy. Park, it was, it was insanity every day. <laughs> it was great. Like, the, the stories, the column fodder, it was like, it was just this daily chaos and it was right before that like your stuff was just starting to get on the internet it was still more you're on news services like the scripps howard news service would run my columns but it isn't like it would be now where you'd be right like if people were reading the stuff we were writing and what was going on it would be you know there'd be much more scrutiny on what was going on at federal state but but we weren't quite it was right to the point where that was start this was 95 i got there right and newspapers were just getting online then um and so uh it was it was wild. Tark was um, Tark was great in that, like you would, you know, stuff would happen. You'd be very critical of him of some decision he made to bring a player in, or something happened with a player, or whatever it was. Like there'd be, you'd have to be critical of him. If you were <laughs> right. like you weren't you weren't doing your job if you right. weren't. But but the one great thing about Tark though was, you know, as long as you showed, I, I would, you know, like you, you, you might write something he didn't like. But you show up the next day, and he might be pissed for a couple minutes. But then he'd be like, all right, what are you hearing? Like, what are you hearing out there? Like, he'd get over it. Sometimes the people around him wouldn't get over it as fast. But Tark was like, yeah, you're doing your job. It, it was it was great in that. Like, you just, as long as you showed up every day and you, you were accountable for it, he, you know, I enjoyed him in that way. Uh, it was, there was, you know, great characters. I got to know Chris Heron. Chris Heron came in then. And and Chris and I have had a long relationship. I knew Chris then, and he was obviously his story is well documented. Chris yeah. was had you know was, but we were both from New England. Chris grew up in Massachusetts, and I grew up in Connecticut. I was only like four years older than Chris then. Well, I'm, I'm I guess I'm only four years older than him now, but <laughs> right. at the time, at the time, I guess that hasn't changed. But he was like 19, I was like 24, maybe 25. So maybe or he was 20, maybe I was five years. But you know, we both grew up in New England, and we were both out in Fresno and. And so, uh, but then he ran into a lot of issues there and, and then we sort of reconnected years later after he, you know, essentially he got sober and what he's doing with his life now is unbelievable. Like the difference he's made in so many people's lives. And, you know, Chris was there, Heron, and we would cover the whack, you know, Andy Katz and I would travel together to these, you know, like you go to Laramie, Wyoming, Fort Collins. You know, Hawaii was in the wax, San Diego State, you know, Albuquerque, the pit. Like, you got to see places in the West, Fort Collins, Colorado. You, you got to see places in the West. And then I got to do a lot of San Francisco pro stuff. 
uh, L.A. pro stuff, uh, you know, the Olympics. I get to do the big stuff and, you know, Fresno State football, basketball. So that was two and a half years. Uh, I learned a lot there. You, you were really under the microscope in that town. Um, like, it was obviously a very pro-Tark, pro-Fresno State town. And so if you were critical, like, you caught a lot of shit, like, in the grocery store or wherever. Like, but, but you had to be accountable for um, what you wrote and people were going to confront you. Uh, but it was good. It made you, it forced you to, you know, like, you know, it's good to have to be accountable for what you're doing and, and you know, daily um, around uh, the people you're in, in that community. I loved Fresno. I loved, I, the Fresno B was great. John Rich, a lot, a lot of really good editors and writers that I worked with there, Andy Bogard, who, you know, again, I just was always lucky to be around people. You, you, you could learn something from everybody. Everybody in this business can teach you something. And if your eyes and ears are open, and uh, to me, like, I always feel like I'm a product of all those experiences, all those people that I was around. And, and, and you learn, you know, if you're, if you're lucky, you get to learn something each stop and take something with you. And, and I felt like I was able to do that. Oh, yeah, for sure. Do you, do you have a favorite Tark story that you could share from your time covering him? Yeah. Um, I wrote a column. I wrote a column about he had a uh, – there's a lot of Tark stories. Right. Um, but one, he, I wrote a column about, uh, he had a, a shoe deal with Adidas and Sonny Vaccaro was at Adidas then. And so, but the shoes like kept falling apart. They were ripping through the players hated them. And there was like a stretch where literally the shoes were just, they were literally falling apart in guys feet. And it was like, they're playing games and like guys were complaining. Like I had to write about it. Like, right. like guys didn't want to wear them. And so kind of a problem I, interviewed, shoes don't I remember, work. yeah, I remember interviewing guys on the team. I, I, you know, Essentially, as I remember the column, it was like, "Hey, the shoes suck," and like we, we're not real happy about wearing these things. And of course, Tark Scott—he's getting paid by Adidas. Sure. So I write the column. It was a Saturday night game. I remember Sunday morning. I write the column saying, "Like, hey, this is a process problem." <laughs> you know, <laughs> players are all complaining. They're all on the record. They're all just saying it. And so um, the next morning, so Tark obviously reads the column. It must have been like seven a.m. It was early. I remember it was like, it must have been like around seven. He calls me and he says, the conversation begins, begins with me going, hello, and him going, if you ask me as hard as, let's see if I can remember this. No, no, here it is. If I get, um, just don't curse. (laughs) I'm trying not to curse. I'm trying to think of, um, okay, here it is. Here it is. Here it is. If I get effed, Every day for the rest of my effing life, I will never get effed as hard as you effed me today. <laughs> That's what it was. I had to think about it. And I was like, uh, good morning, Tart. You know, uh, good morning. He's like, Sonny's going to see this, and he's going to be pissed. And uh, like, Sonny's going to see this, and like, I'm going to be in trouble. He's going to get way of my dad. Tart, what do you want me to do? Like, you know, but that was like, you know, but then you'd see him a few hours later, and it was fine. And, um, but it was always entertaining. Uh, you know, we did a point shaving investigation. That was that was intense. That was intense in that community to be working on a story like that there. Um, but um, yeah, I learned a lot there. And Tark was uh, uh, he was a character, and there'll never be another like him. That's for sure. I'm, I'm I'm glad I got to spend time around him. Well, in that way, he handled things. I mean, my impression is that you you kind of always had a, a lasting respect for him, and I, I imagine it's because of the way, like you said, the way he didn't. You know, he kind of understood where you were coming from on things. 
Yeah, like, you know, the thing with Tark was, it was sort of a game to him. It was like, all right, like, you, you got me on this one. You're right. Like, I like I couldn't get that one past you. And that's how he'd look at it. He didn't take it that personally. Again, the people around him would, and they'd get really upset. But Tark would always, you know, I think he respected that you worked hard at it, that you need, that, that he felt like he could talk basketball with you. Uh, he'd always be curious. I had covered UConn and Jim Calhoun. He'd always be curious about what I was hearing in the Big East. Or uh, It was funny. He would always talk about going to the Rutgers League. He meant to say Rutgers League in New York. He always called <laughs> it the Rutgers League. I'm like, what is he talking about? But uh, but Andy Katz, you know, Andy and I were on that beat, and uh, it was a lot of fun. I had a lot of good memories with Andy, you know, driving through snowstorms and from in the Fort Collins and Laramie, Wyoming, and I remember once Park was um, there. The, the, it was a tough road trip. You go to Laramie. You go Fort Collins to Laramie. It was like Fort Collins to Laramie was like an hour drive, maybe an hour and a half. But that was a tough trip because you're in altitude. And I remember once they had gotten just crushed. They had played Fort Collins, and now they're going to Laramie, and everybody was like, "You're just breathing. It's hard. It's hard. That's it's a great it's a great advantage. Teams rarely swept that trip." And I remember him saying to the team once, <laughs> he was trying to tell these guys, he said, listen, like, forget the altitude. It doesn't affect you. He goes, the games are played indoors. They're not played outdoors. There is no altitude. <laughs> and they were, like, looking at each other going, oh, okay, right, I guess. But he, he was trying to convince them that they weren't, what they were feeling is they weren't really feeling it right. because the games are indoors, not outdoors. That's so you're not feeling, you, you really aren't feeling the altitude. And uh, I, remember, I remember that one. No, that's great. So, so yeah, you you kind of mentioned it, right? But then you go to New York. You're you're working at the Bergen Record, which is a you know, like you said, a, a major paper in the market, and uh, you know, writing columns there. And then, you know, I mean, you you kind of mentioned it, but at the time, you know, I remember talking to you about it when you were deciding to go there, and you were at school at some point, and uh, you know that it was a pretty big move when you you went to you went to Yahoo. I mean, that was you know, you and Dan going there was kind of like, hey, all right you know, this, this internet thing is, you know, is maybe kind of happening. I mean, did you, I mean, you mentioned that you saw the specialization was coming, but did you, did you have some, some hesitation about, about kind of taking, taking the leap and, and going there? You know what? I had no hesitation. I really didn't. I, I felt like I had had at the record, I had turned down several newspaper jobs that were much bigger newspapers. Um, but I felt like the next move I made, I, I felt like, there came a point where I said, I'm not going to another newspaper. I'm going to go to the internet. And so I don't want to start over in a newspaper. So I was ready to do it. And Yahoo, I remember Dan called me. Dan was at CBSSports.com covering college basketball. And Dan had this chance to go to Yahoo. And he said, what do you think of it? And I said, listen, if they're going to commit resources because of the portal, because of who Yahoo is, you're going to drive a ton of traffic. And that it could become a monster. And it did. If um, once they got into it. So, like, you had natural like a fire hose that front page of yahoo um it still is um but back then it was even more so because that was everybody's entrance point right many people's entrance points that was, the pre, internet that was pre-google right still yeah but like but google was a search you know they were both search but yahoo had content like you know you'd go there for your mail everybody went got their many people got their mail there they went right. there for their stocks the weather you know entertainment and then okay you're gonna and so i remember when Dan went, we had a conversation about him becoming a general columnist, um, leaving college basketball to become a general columnist, and that was the job I was doing, so we had talked about that. But um, Rick, um, excuse me, uh, 
uh, Dave Morgan was the editor. He had come from the LA Times, and uh, Dave was very per- persuasive. Dave was uh, a big part of that, too. And so Dan, Charles Robinson was already there. Charles was covering the NFL. He had come from Orlando. Dan had come from CBSSports.com. And so I didn't realize what this was going to become. I was sort of carving my own way in the NBA. It was, well, you know, I'm going to build relationships. I'm going to get to know people. Um, At the time, obviously, there were some places that were pretty dominant covering the NBA and the Internet. And I just started working at it. And uh, I just, I'm very competitive. And I said, I'm not going to sit back and just get beat by ESPN or anybody else. Like, I'm not, I'm going to build this out. I'm going to build a way of doing this. And, and, you know, I was a columnist. Like, I went in there, like, kind of the idea was, well, just come write news, you know, come write NBA columns. Come, you know, get, you know, write. The mandate was never come in and break news. Like, it, it, I, it just evolved from how I was doing the job and working. Right. I always felt like I wanted my columns to be very well reported. And that's how I really learned it by emulating Ian O'Connor and uh, Harvey Ariton and, and, and guys in the New York market back, you know, Michael Carl, it's places he was at Newark and then the post near post. I wanted to emulate, like those are the guys I emulated and like Lupica in his younger days was really a great reporting columnist. When people should go back and people should go back and read like Lupica columns in the eighties. Yeah. Like crazy well, good. you know, shooting from the lip was an anthology. I still have it in my office here somewhere at home. Shooting from the Lip was like an anthology of his early work, you know, really in the 70s, 80s. I mean, like, you know, a lot of people, you know, say what you will about Mike, but but Mike did influence a lot of people, um, a lot of guys in this business. And uh, so that was, how I, that was how I went about it. That's what I felt separated you, was if you could write a column with very informed opinion and, and build around, you know, have news in your column advance the story, advance the story, which is always. And so, again, I learned that from Ian and, and Harvey and those guys. And so I brought that to Yahoo. And then, you know, the breaking news became an element of, you know, separate and part of it and then more and more. And then so I just sort of went in, not quite knowing how I was going to do it, except like I just knew I was going to compete. I knew I was going to compete and work hard. And, and Yahoo would let me, you know, the travel budget was really good. Like there was never, they never would say no to anything. So you get on a plane and go meet people face to face. You could go meet executives. You could meet agents. You could go spend time in front of people. Get and and so I went to lots of events and and world events. You know the, uh, you know never like not just the Olympics but the World Championships where you know you're meeting uh, you know executives any place you could go. The Portsmouth Invitational, the D League Showcase, the pre-draft camp in Chicago, the the agents would run uh, camps like like showcases for uh, pre-draft in L.A., usually around L.A., and every GM would be there. So you just go where everybody was, and you built relationships, and you built – and so that's how I did it. That's how I still do it. It doesn't change. It's the same it's, – it's the same – it doesn't change. But uh, at the beginning, I don't know other guys were doing that. I, I don't – I didn't see other guys out there doing it. Like, I, I would be out there and going – I think I'm on to something here. I think this is a way to do it because I didn't see any of my competitors there. And that's how I always feel like I'm in the right place is if I don't see anybody I compete with there, then I feel like I'm in the right place and not around the pack. And, um, 
so that worked for me and working with Mark Spears at Yahoo. I mean, that's how Mark came on and that's how Mark approached things. And that's how we did it. And, uh, had a great editor in Johnny Ludden at Yahoo. I still have like, we just found a, a way that worked for us. And, and we were really aggressive and, and we, we carved out our, our place in the, you know, we carved out a place. I would, I would say you did. And that, 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 I mean, obviously, like I've said a couple times, I mean, between you and Mike, you guys have had a bigger influence on me than anybody outside of my family throughout the past decade or so in my career. And that, that, that advice you always gave me about going away from where everybody is was always the, uh, has always been something that served me quite well. And I think it's a pretty, I think it's a pretty good way for anybody to approach this job. There, are, if you if you can find places where people aren't, you're going to tend to find stuff that nobody else has, which is kind of the whole point. But you you know, obviously you you've carved out more than a, a niche or a, a spot. I mean, you've carved out a, a massive swath, and uh, you know, I, I think you know, I think for a lot of people, they were a little surprised maybe when you know. To, to swing back around to the present time, you know, after you've kind of, you know, taken over the marketplace the past few years, you, you know, it would have been easy to just kind of continue on the same path. And I know, I know some people were surprised when, you know, news came out this summer that you wanted to start your own site at Yahoo um, called The Vertical, which just launched officially on Friday. Um, so, you know, that, that obviously is a, is a risk to take and a, a big challenge to take on to try to, you know, start your own your own thing and try to do try to do something big like that. So, you know, why why Adrian did you decide that that this was this was something you really wanted to try to pursue to try to create your own you know your own vertical at Yahoo and and do this? You know, it's a good question, Tim. I, I guess I have been asked it a lot by people. Uh, I guess a simple answer is because I thought it could be really good because I thought we could build something that was unique and you know, if in some way we helped shape the way the NBA is covered by how we've done things, if in some small way that we influenced it, I think we can do it again. Part of it was a challenge. You know, I'm not afraid to fail. I'm not afraid to fail at something. And you have to go out inside your comfort zone. You have to go and, and, and test yourself in new ways or you, or you don't grow anymore. And so, I'm not afraid to fail at this. I, I, I think we're going to be successful. Um, I think we've got a great group at the vertical. I think, you know, I think the content's been really good. Um, I think the site's going to evolve. I think the site has to evolve, the, how it looks. And I think as new redesigns come in in Yahoo, that's going to be important for us. Um, but from our end, um, you know, I think that there's an appetite for, the, the kind of reporting, you know, this is a very reporting based site and um, whether it's Jonathan Gavoni traveling around the world, um, evaluating top players around the world. And I was in college basketball to what Bobby Marks does um, with the trade deadline guides he's doing now and all the evaluations, uh, you know, all the analysis he does team by team and around trades and deals to, to the bigger stories we're doing video and, and, and the bigger um, pieces going behind the scenes with teams. Michael Lee went inside the Nuggets for a few days. Uh, I, I just think that there's, I don't know, I just feel like I had um, some thoughts about what might work in a bro- broader than just myself. And it is a challenge. You're, my, my days are, obviously, I'm, I'm pulled in lots of new directions. Uh, you know, meeting with our salespeople. The podcast has been exciting and, and building 
out having JJ Reddick a part of it, Chris Mannix, and and we've had we've gotten off to a really good start with the podcast with in terms of I think the quality of them working with digital media, they really made the quality of them good. I think we've had good guests. We've been very open and. Uh, the numbers and all those things are really good, but more importantly, I think people are finding value in those, and so I've enjoyed that. That's a big part of our site, but, um, you know, I just think, like, I, you know, I had been doing it the way I had been doing it for, like, nine years at Yahoo. I felt like, I think it was the Bergen record for about the same amount, and I, I think I heard somewhere once, like, once you're doing something for, like, 10 years is, like, the limit to do anything, any one specific thing, and so I just felt like, I wanted to grow. I wanted this challenge. Like I said, I'm not afraid to fail. I'm not afraid to be, you know, listen, nobody wants to be criticized. A lot of times criticism has merit and value. I, I'm okay. Um, but like, you know, I want to, um, I just think we had an opportunity to, I, I love the people I'm surrounded with doing this and, uh, you know, working with Sham Sharania, our young reporter. I love feeling like I can help teach a little bit. I can help um, guide some some things and I think I have some things that I can offer and and help the people around me in terms of ideas and how to shape things and maybe what works the kinds of stories that work in our medium and the kinds of things that are going to have impact and um I like being doing something bigger than myself I was the way we were doing it you just were focused on your thing and doing it and um I like the I like the camaraderie of this I like the you know, Yahoo felt like a startup to us at the beginning in sports. I guess it was with Dan Wetzel and Jeff Pass and Tim Brown, all the guys who came in together. And then I feel like we're sort of doing that again with this. And um, it's been exciting. It's, it's it, you know, obviously it's a lot of work and it's a lot of new things I have to spend time on in addition to my reporting and writing. And I've got to learn that balance. But I have great editors to manage a lot of that. But um but I'm, 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 in, I'm every day I'm involved in, you know, every day I'm involved in what we're working on, what we're doing, how we're doing it. Um, but I don't have to, like, I'm not editing and posting the stories, but I'm, you know, and I'm not always looking at every single story, but most of them I see. And, you know, you have great guys you trust and they're doing their thing. So, uh, it's been fun. I mean, we've only been at it a week here, but, uh, certainly the walk up, the, the prep to it was obviously, you know, quite a while in the, in the, in the making. And I think the site's going to look better. It's going to get better. Um, this is a long process. Um, hopefully we'll be judged over time. You know, to me, the, the measure is, can you do it day in and day out? Can you, can you deliver day in and day out compelling content that people feel like they've got to seek out and, and want, you know, want to, to read. And, and, and so that's the challenge. And um, I, I've been excited. I, I, I get excited working with the salespeople on potential sponsorships and sort of uh, brainstorming on how things might appeal to sponsors or different things people might want to sponsor, like trade deadline or free agency or, you know, we're, we're going to be doing a lot of video and live video over time and um, working with Facebook on um, partnering, you know, and, and partnering with them a little bit on on ways to share our content with them. And so, it's, it's, you know, it, it helps to sharpen your view of the, of what's important in the business and what works. It makes me better at my job because I see what does have impact and, and like, Hey, I get it. This is a business and we have to be sustainable, uh, self-sustainable in a lot of ways. And, and that's our goal. Like I'm not looking to have some giant bloated staff, um, 
that can't pay for itself over time. Like, I get it. Like, we're a business, and we all better look at it as a business. Like, we're not entitled to any of this. Um, you know, that's the one, I think that's the one thing with this that I'm, you know, I try to drive home is like, we've got to compete every day and no one owes us anything. And like, we've got to justify ourselves. I, I get it. Like, this isn't the days in this business of like, you're just on scholarship and, 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 you know, we do our jobs because somebody just, there's some greater good that somebody's willing to lose money on. Well, that doesn't exist anymore. You've got to drive traffic sponsorships. You've got to be good you've got to be accurate you, you've got to be a lot of things and so I, I like the challenge of it well no and, and i like I, i've told a lot of people like every time i've seen you the last few months you've just been really fired up about whatever you've got going on and i, I think it i think it's great because you you it just seems like you've gotten kind of a, a a new burst of energy from it which i think is great but i i wanted to i wanted to ask you you know you, you mentioned a few times that the part of why you wanted to do this because you, you thought you could you know maybe have an impact on on the way the league is covered and you know you're someone who I've always respected the way that you've been able to kind of see things ahead you know like you said when you went to Yahoo you you kind of saw what was coming I think before a lot of people did so you know there's there's a lot of talk these days about where the business is and where it's headed and how things should be done and you know I know you had a pretty clear plan for how you want to put the site together but you know how do you how do you see the the landscape of things now in terms of of how you think that that things should be covered. Like if, if you could just wave a wand and say, this is, this is how we should cover the sport. This is how things should go. You well, know, what do you think listen, it, what I, do you think it should be? Yeah, I probably should rephrase that, Tim. I, I wouldn't presume to say how anybody else should cover anything or. Well, I, I, I didn't mean we, that you were saying that. Yeah, either. no, I know that. I know. But I, I think like, I want to, like, I think we can show here's a way to do it. And right. And the way that I think works is, you know, you've got to have content that's unique. That, listen, if you can give people information that they can't get anywhere else, if they can learn something or maybe be a little entertained, but but information and storytelling in lots of different ways. That might be breaking news, analysis, long-form video, the Chris Carino piece we did. Really? You know, could, please, go watch the Chris, please go watch the Chris Carino video. He's the yeah, play guy for the Nets, it. and it's you fantastic. Know, like, that's the kind of thing Yahoo's been doing, and, and we're going to do that over um, um on our, you know, certainly on our, um, on our platform. But I, I guess I just think that consumers are smart. Uh, uh, sponsors are particular about where they go. I'm learning this with podcasting and, and, and working with sponsors of, of who, what fits your, what brands fit with you and all that. And you've got to take time to understand that. And uh, so, yeah, I, I just think that, you know, for what we're trying to do, um, you know, we're going to be around the news. We're going to build our site and build our coverage and build our content around newsmakers and news. And you can go outside of that sometimes to tell a bigger story like a Chris Carino or, but generally like we're not going to stray too far from, you know, what people are talking about and we want to do it better. We want to bring you things that you can't get hopefully reporting that advances it and all those things, you know, like, uh, and, and I think, you know, we'll do it in lots of different, we'll surround the news in lots of different ways. But uh, I just think for us, this is a model that we've, I think we're building off of a model on the vertical that we had at Yahoo of, of, of being, you know, at the center of the news and trying to drive the news cycle. We want to drive the news cycle and then we want to analyze it and we want to, um, you know, tell, you know, again, tell stories in lots of different ways. And so 
I, I just think we have an ability here to do it in a certain way. And listen, there's a lot of other people in the business and other places doing it in great ways that maybe their sensibilities are different than ours, but that's what makes it good. People will choose and, you know, like readers and, and, and an audience, they're going to choose and maybe a little bit from everywhere, but, but we want to try to be, um, you know, I don't think anybody's one stop shopping on the NBA, but like, there's too much great stuff out there. But, um, but in terms of news and storytelling and podcasting and video, uh, I think we have a lot to offer people the vertical. No, you definitely do. It's I'm I'm fired up for the site. You've got a lot of great ideas. You obviously have a lot of great people um, between Chris Mannix and Michael Lee, and you know uh, hiring Nick DePaula to do the shoe stuff. I thought was a fascinating move, and and I think it's mm-hmm. uh, you know he's already you know I know we talked about it. He wrote a great story the other day about the you know kind of the art of the shoe deal, which I think. Uh, per- I think Nick DePaula is going to really be the breakout star of this site. I think I that agree. um he he I think there's such an appetite for what he brings and the shoe industry, you know, in two ways, like the people who, you know, love, you know, younger people, older people of all ages who, who care about the shoes and the designs and new shoes coming out, the retros, but then as an industry, how shoe deals impact teams and free agency because they do. Shoe deals are really important and nobody really knows about it. You know, you're John Wall, that that's a big issue with him. What, what, what's his next, you know, what's his next move in the shoe business? And, you know, with an endorsement and, and signature lines that key players, that elite players have. And so I think Nick is the best in that area, and he's got tremendous insight relationships at Nike, Adidas, Under Armour, all the big companies. And and so he'll be reporting on, you know, he knows the designers who are working with Steph Curry, Kobe, LeBron James, Kevin Durant on their shoes. And so he can give and report um, in tremendous insight into that world. And I think he's going to be, uh, a huge part of our uh, of the vertical. I'm excited to excited to have him on board. No, it's great. And I mean, you mentioned John Wall. Like it, it is crazy. You know, you look at you look at a lot of these guys. They make far more money from their shoe deals than they ever do from the actual time they spend on the court. And so, some do. I mean, Derek Rose's deal probably. Um, although I guess it depends if he gets another. But he's got such a lifetime deal. But sure. certainly, it's comparable in a lot sure. of ways. Yeah, and LeBron just got a huge deal. Durant yeah. just got a huge deal. And people people don't realize how how important that is. That that kind of that alternate world is. And, mm-hmm. and I, I no, I thought that was. I thought that was a really, I thought that was a really fascinating move. You know, obviously hiring Michael yeah. Lee was great. It set up, a, it opened up a job that I was able to get here, which <laughs> yeah, was great exactly. from a personal standpoint. <laughs> but, um, but I guess before we go, um, since we are a couple weeks before the deadline, and I guess, I guess exactly two weeks, um, you know what? Obviously, the the league is kind of in a weird state right now because there's so many teams that are kind of bunched up, and there hasn't really been. Um, a lot of stratification to to kind of open up a clear market for buyers and sellers. Um, do you do you see? I mean, we don't have much time really. There's only a few more games before the break, and then there's no games before the deadline. So, you know, as you see things a couple weeks out, do you do you think that things might end up being kind of quiet, or or do you think that eventually you know, we're going to start to see stuff start to happen? You know, every year I try to. Every year I try to, in talking to executives and people in the league, like, it's, it's always really hard to judge. I found that, like, it just takes on a life of its own. Sometimes it takes one or two deals to trigger a bunch of others, and people react. Sometimes there's everybody's waiting on one or two particular deals, and then if they happen, like, Mark Keith Morris might be that player, right? So 
I think Phoenix is going to is determined to move him. Um, so maybe teams wait if they don't get Marquise Morris. Now that forces them to go get to to then go do something else. Or and so sometimes there's triggers like that. I, I the one thing that I don't think you'll see as much of, like you saw last year, like Memphis in the Jeff Green deal gave up a first round pick. Dallas gave up pick gave up a pick or maybe even more than one pick to Boston. I'm trying to remember exactly. They gave up Jay Crowder, who was a good for Rondo. And, you know, I think last year there were teams like Dallas and Memphis who thought we might be one player away. We're one player away from maybe getting over the top of the West. I don't think those there are teams anymore who think they're one player away from the Warriors, unless, like, you know, that's uh, LeBron James, you know. Right. Like, I don't think there's teams who think we're going to give away. And picks are so valuable. I, I think you're going to see less picks moving like that for a veteran guy or uh now boston's an example they obviously they're in a different position they're looking to use their picks to bring in to bring back a big star they want to use their picks uh and their young players to try to make a deal for uh you know a star level player now that player may not end up being available to them and i think danny ainge is trying to figure out sometimes which guy is worth that? Like, who really, like, at some point you go, okay, maybe this is the best we can get and we're going to do a deal or you go, nah, we're going to wait longer. Like, we don't want to settle too much, you know. And so, like, I think Boston's got difficult decisions to make, but I think it'll be interesting. You're right. There's a lot of teams in contention to make the playoffs, um, but I don't think there's many teams in contention to win a championship. No, and I was actually going to ask you that. Do you, do you think that, like, because you mentioned last year, you know, Dallas kind of swung for the fences and, and the Grizzlies did, and, and it, it did feel a little more open. I mean, do you think the fact, do you think part of the reason things have been kind of quiet is, to your point, that Golden State looks just so dominant that, that a lot of those teams that are maybe just a tier below, even a team like the Clippers, might not really think that if they get, you know, one more big piece, they can really make a run at them? Well, I do think the Clippers and Oklahoma are two teams that I think do feel like if the ball bounces the right way, they're good enough to step up and beat, right. you know, potentially beat one of those teams. I think those teams might be willing to make a move. The Clippers, they've been pretty active. But, again, the rest of the league. But then you have other people. You have other people who – other teams who go, hey, I'm just trying to make the playoffs. And so I'm going to do a big move because – like a GM's like, I got to save my job. I've got to get into yep. the playoffs. Like we need to be in there. So, um, and there'll be other teams who are going to be sellers who say, I don't really want to be in the playoffs. Get me out of here. I want to get, get me back in the lottery. Like, so, you, you know, you never know when that can happen, but um, I, I think there'll be, eh, listen, it just, it takes on its own life. I really do think it's very hard to predict. Uh, you, you just, you can't predict it. Like you can, we can evaluate it and we can analyze all these are, are good reasons and sound reasoning right but in the end so many factors go into whether a team does a deal and and deals so uh it'll be but it's always interesting and 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 i think that um uh you know i it's it's a fun time of the year for everybody leading into that february deadline no no for sure actually and i want to ask you about that quick before we go um you know i remember i remember last year you know the nets i was covering the nets still at the time and they were you know, there was all this talk about whether they're going to trade Brooke Lopez or not. And um, I remember sitting in the uh, the Chick Fil A on UCLA's campus at like eleven fifty five in the morning, uh, like texting people and calling people and trying to figure out what was what was going on uh, leading up to the deadline. Where there were five thousand trades happening um, all at once. You know, Brooke ended up not getting traded, and the 
the Thunder traded Reggie Jackson to the Pistons and the, the 17 point guards traded. And I think for a lot of people, they're, you know, especially fans, you know, following along on Twitter and, and wherever else, they're, they're, they're just kind of waiting to see, you know, what stuff you're going to pump out in those last 20 minutes before the deadline, the few minutes after. So if you could, I, I think people would probably be curious to hear, like, how how that process works for you, like that in that, like, you know, last there, hour leading up to the there, deadline. There, there is no process. It's chaos. <laughs> it's chaos. And, and last year what was happening was there were so many deals in the last hour, and a lot of them were three-way and four-way deals. And so you're getting pieces of deals. Right. Like, okay, I know Isaiah Thomas is going to Boston, but I don't know – where he's going through. I know Boston's traded for Isaiah Thomas, so I can report that. But I don't. But I haven't realized yet that that's part of the Milwaukee, Phoenix, Philly trade. Okay, now it's so right. you're trying to figure out in those moments what is part of a four way deal, what is a straight on deal. Like that's where the confusion. And then you you're trying to piece it, but you can you can report bits. You can report this guy's going here, this guy's going there. But initially, sometimes it takes a little bit to figure out. Um, you know, is it part, like when you're just in that, you know, again, that, that, that's where it's all coming at once. And, you know, Reggie Jackson deal, trying to remember, that was a three. So like, I knew, yeah, Reggie, a, I report Reggie Jackson going too. to, yeah, I, I, I report Reggie Jackson going to the Pistons, but I didn't know in the, I didn't know in the moment that it was part of the Cantor deal going to Utah. I knew Cantor was going to Utah. I knew Reggie was going to uh, Detroit. But it took me a little bit to realize, okay, that's a three-way connected. So you try to piece it together the best you can and, and give the information as you're getting it. Uh, but that was crazy. That was a, uh, I think, was it 10% of the league got traded? Something trade, like trade that. Deadline? It was, it yeah, was, it was, like that. Un, it was unbelievable. It was just unbelievable yeah. trying to figure it all out. Um, yeah, it was. It was. And so, you know, I, I'm just usually as confused as anybody. Yeah. So. <laughs> Well, you, you seem to be the gatekeeper on it. So, Adrian, I don't want to keep you any longer. Uh, this has been really great. Thank you um, for the time. Um, obviously, there's been a lot of great content on the vertical, so please plug some of that. And I, I would tell – I mean, you can give your Twitter handle, but I really can't imagine anybody who is listening to this uh, doesn't know what well, it is. Well, listen, I, I appreciate it, Tim. And like you said, I've known you since you were a young pup at Bonaventure. I'm proud of you. I'm proud to see – what you've done in your career and how you've done it. And, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm proud of you. I'm proud to see, uh, you're, you're one of the best. And, uh, like I knew you when, so, so thanks, thanks for having me on. Well, no, no problem. But before you go, plug, plug some stuff, plug some stuff on the site, give some people, uh, that's very, all very kind of you to say, and thank you, but, but give, tell, I mean, you've kind of mentioned some things, but, but throw out some stuff for people to check out and, and also uh, lay out what you guys are going to do next weekend at all-star weekend. Cause I know you're going to do a bunch of stuff up there. Well, Michael, Michael Lee's got a good piece today uh, from Washington on, on the relationship between Steph Curry and President Obama. He had, he had a real interesting interview with uh, with Steph off of his 51-point game uh, the other night, and uh, there. And then All Star, we're going to be up there. We're going to have we're going to be doing live. We're going to be doing video from All Star, um, partnering up with Facebook, uh, and I'm going to be podcasting also from All Star. I've got some. Um, I never like to say who I have lined up because sometimes if things fall through, then. But but I feel like I've got a pretty good roster of people uh, for the podcast, and then also the video we'll be doing. Chris Mannix and Michael Lee and the group we'll have up there 
uh, we'll be trying some new things up at All Star. So I'm excited. Uh, and then obviously we, we lead into trade deadline. So this is a big month for the league. It's a big month for the vertical. So, but I but I appreciate the chance to to come on and talk about it, uh, Tim. Sure, no, happy to do it. So um, you can you can find the posting up podcast on iTunes. Please give it a five star review there. You can find me on Twitter at Tim Bontemps. You can do my stuff at the Washington Post. Um, to everyone who's been listening, thanks a lot, and we'll catch you next time.